Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. So I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that our first or fifth graders, you're in the room with us this morning. Um, I'm glad that we've got little little things over here, a little clipboard with some notes for you to follow along and a little gift for you at the end because we like to have fun here. But this is also a time for us to, to really kind of prepare ourselves for Christmas, right? Because here's the thing about Christmas is that we put all sorts of labels on it, right? This is going to be the best Christmas ever. Or maybe you say, I know that uncle so-and-so or our cousin or, or my brother is going to say X and bring up this subject and it's going to be a disaster. We put these labels, these expectations on things and this is a really kind of confusing time, right? Because we can have so much joy and expectation for Christmas, but we also have some realities that we may be living in. And so confusing realities at that. Perhaps that, that this, this Christmas brings up all those thoughts of, of some family drama or trauma that you are dealing with. Or maybe, maybe it brings up these, these thoughts of the, the emotions and the words that were spoken and the ways in which you're going to move forward. Or we're in this series called Ghosts of Christmas Past. And, and, and it's all about this idea when we walk into a situation, we are never really able to just fully be there because there's all these labels, there's all these words, there's all these things that have kind of come up, whether it's shame or regret or those expectations that we have. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a weird time for us in, in terms of, of all sorts of ways which we can come at this and say, how am I going to be fully present here at Christmas? Because maybe for you, when you're going to walk into that family gathering, you know that the, the subtext, what's, what's going on underneath it, were the words that were spoken last year or years past. And we all know the, 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 the cliche and the thing that maybe you were told when you were a kid is that sticks and stones may, bake, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not true. <laughs> that's a lie. Like, that's not how it works. Our words have incredible power. And what we want to look at today is this idea that what we call something has an impact on what it is. And that ultimately we can embrace something different. We look at the proverb. The proverb chapter 18, verse 21. And the author here says that the tongue has the power of life and death. Think about that. The tongue, what we say, has power of life and death. We can cut down one another, but we can also build someone up. These labels can kind of become, these, these words can become part of our identity. They can become something that this is what we live with and this is how we move forward. And I'm going to guess that we are wrestling with some of these labels heading into Christmas, right? we got to play into our expectations. we got to make sure that we, we, we please people. we got to make sure that we live up to what we are doing. And sometimes I think we just wish we could change our identity. Maybe, maybe you as a kid, you're like me. For some reason, I wanted to change my name as a kid. And mom and dad would have, would, you know, they're not doing that. Like, like, they let me go by Josh and not Joshua. But I show up to first grade. I remember this. 
there were four other Joshes in my class. There's four other Josh, like a group of like 25 kids, five of us were named Josh. And one of them was a girl. No, just kidding. There were five Joshes. I remember like, like oh gosh, this is so ridiculous. And there were, there were two kids in my grade, in my grade, that had the same first and last name. They were both Josh Miller, and it was just crazy to me. And so I remember as a kid thinking, I wish I could change my name. You ever think about that? You ever think of yourself, I wish I could change my name. I wish I could kind of change what people thought of me. So think about this. This is on our, our first and fifth grades. This is on your activity sheets. You follow along. But everyone, kind of play along with me here. Think about this. If you could change your name, if you had to pick a new name for yourself, what would it be? If you had to pick a new name for yourself, what would it be? You know, maybe you get kind of exotic and something different. Or maybe you just think, my name's kind of lame and I want something cool. If you had to pick a new name for yourself, what would it be? See, names in the Bible aren't just identifiers. Names in the Bible hold something in terms of truth about character and about intent from a parent. Names in the Bible are not just what's on the birth certificate. It says something about who these people are and what they hope to be. But sometimes we get stuck. We get stuck with a name. We get stuck with a label. And sometimes we even take a negative label and we internalize it to the point where it becomes who we are. You know, you say to yourself, this is who I am. I'm a failure. I'm lazy. I'm angry. I'm a, I'm a person who's always smiling and is always happy. I'm the peacemaker. I'm the good parent who's always there and doing everything for my kids. I'm the dutiful kid, son or daughter. And we embrace these things and they become who we are and we feel as though we are stuck. So much so that I think that these hurtful words and these negative labels kind of put us in a place where we say we can't do things. Now this isn't like some sort of like you can do and be whatever you want, but this is understanding that God has a purpose for you, that God has intentionality here, because there's two main points that I want to get over, over, get through over and over and over again before we jump into our text. It's this, God is intentional and God uses people. God is intentional, and God uses you. So I think all throughout Scripture, and all throughout the last 2,000 years, and, and really be well beyond that, all throughout uh, eternity, God has a purpose in mind, and his vehicle for accomplishing these things is working through and in people like you and me. Yet our labels and what we say to ourselves and our identities tell us that we can't do anything. We're going to pick this story up with the Christmas story. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is in the New Testament. It's the third book in the New Testament. And we're not going to go to Luke chapter 2, which is really the most complete account of the Christmas story that we have. We're going to go before that to Luke chapter 1. Because this is an incredibly important part of the Christmas story that sometimes we overlook. Now Luke is this historically minded academic. And Luke's big mission, Luke's big thing that, that he is doing here is he is trying to lay out a complete narrative from the birth of Jesus to the birth of the church. 
And so Luke writes the Gospel of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts. And the book of Acts documents and tells the story of the early church. And it's interesting that Luke kind of gives us this fuller picture of the Christmas story, the nativity. But he begins in Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, we meet someone. Luke chapter 1, verses 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. A priest named Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is somebody who's a priest, so he's going to have these duties. He's going to have his job that he's going to do there in the temple. It is his job to, to set up the incense altar and to administer the sacrifices and prayers. Like He is a function. He is there, and he is making the religious things happen. And what we learn about Zechariah and his wife is that they are older in age, and they are childless. They are two people that had dreams and hopes of becoming parents, and it was not been given to them, and they think their story is over. Verse 6, it says about, about the, this, this couple that both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And so Zechariah is there, and he's taking his turn, his, his, his shift, essentially, there in the temple, and he's administering all of these things there for worship. And what we read is that in this moment, he has this grand vision where an angel appears to him. This angel of God, this messenger of God appears to him and says to Zechariah that they, him and his wife, will have a little boy. And this little boy will be the one that, that is going to set the stage for the Messiah. See, Elizabeth is going to birth John the Baptist. And we know that the rest of the story, that, that John the Baptist, his ministry and his work, lays the foundation for Jesus. That what Jesus does doesn't really happen without John the Baptist. And so what we see here is that Zechariah and Elizabeth will be these key moments, this key link in the story. But because Zechariah believes, not this angel, but believes the labels and the identity and the words that have been put on him, he says this in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Which is a really bold question to ask an angel right there in front of you, right? How can I be sure of this? Well, the, the, the angel in front of you with probably this flaming sword and who knows what else, that might be reason for you to be sure of it. But he says this, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. See, Zechariah says, my story's over. Zechariah says, my story is over. And there's no way that I can be used for God. He's probably someone who said that, yes, God is intentional. God uses people, but he uses other people. He doesn't use me. He says, I can't because I'm old. Complete that sentence. Complete that phrase. Complete that statement for yourself. I can't because. I can't because I'm too young, because I'm too old. I can't because of my past and my regrets and my shame. I can't because of, well, the fact that I'm not ready 
I don't have it all figured out. I can't because I didn't finish that degree. I can't because I don't have a family. I can't because I'm divorced. I can't because I have all this debt. I can't, I can't, I can't. What is that for you? If God asks you to do something that's ridiculous, how do you complete that sentence? Because I think all of us would say that. I can't because. I would say, I can't because I don't have this figured out yet. I'm not ready. I can't because I'm not the right person for this. I'm not qualified. Zechariah says, I can't because I'm too old. See, these labels, this label for Zechariah in the face of an angel, he says, I can't do this. He says, I can't do this. See, sometimes people talk about the Bible being this outdated thing that doesn't connect to our real lives, doesn't connect to the here and now. I tell people to read something like this and think about that. Those moments, maybe for you, there was something new happening in your life. There was some sort of new challenge or new opportunity or just new chapter. And you have all these feelings like, I can't do this. You know exactly what Zechariah is going through. You know exactly the mental uh, conversation that he's having. And for Zechariah and for Elizabeth, they say, I can't because of this. Well, so much, so often... We do the exact same thing. See, I think the Bible is the Bible that we are supposed to have. The Bible is this ancient document that was written originally in, in, in dialects and variants of languages that are still here, but those dialects are, are dead, and it's, just, it's translated, and it's translated, and it's something that's so hard for us to get our head around, and there are poems, and there are histories, and there's all these kind of incredible visions, and all of this stuff, Right? And so we think to ourselves, well, how do I, how do I connect to this? How do I, how do I understand this? I think the Bible is the Bible we're supposed to have. I think God is being intentional here. And he gives us a Bible. He gives us a Bible where we can see ourselves in these stories. We can see ourselves in these moments. We can understand what people are experiencing and thinking because this is what we would do as well. There's someone else in the Bible I want to look at who said, I can't because... And there's someone else here that, that says, I can't because of the labels that were put on me. In the first book of the Bible, we meet this guy named Jacob. And from the, ja from the jump, Jacob is, is complicated. But we read he's rather, really rather important to the story. But to be honest, he's a jerk. Which is really funny to me because my little brother is named Jacob. So I just kind of remind him of that. He also listens to the podcast. So, hey brother. <laughs> so Jacob is a jerk, you know. Jacob is a jerk. <laughs> it's funny because my nephews also listen to the podcast. They, like, they can't figure out why Uncle Josh is on the radio when they're driving around. <laughs> Jacob is a jerk. <laughs> so what we see in this story is that Jacob, he is the son of Isaac. He is the grandson of Abraham. He is an incredibly important person in the story. But really, the first time we meet adult Jacob in the story, he is deceiving. He is playing a trick on his aging father, Isaac. See, Jacob was a twin, and because Esau, his twin brother, came out first, he was the oldest. And in that culture, he met, that meant he gets the lion's share and the, really the vast majority of all the inheritance and all the wealth and all the prestige and all the opportunity that comes with it. And there at the end of his life, Jacob, this deceiver, is somebody who kind of tricks his father into giving him the birthright, the inheritance. And so Jacob is the deceiver. 
you guys in first fifth grade, you can fill that in on your sheets as well. And this name, this label, is a source of shame for Jacob, because of course it is. It's something that he lives with for his entire life. Whenever we meet someone, whenever we meet someone in the Bible, whenever we see this, we have to understand that this name is the first thing that people who encounter Jacob would think of. Oh, you're Jacob. Oh, okay, I can't trust you. Oh, I can't, I can't trust you. It tells us something about their character. But this changes for Jacob one night. Jacob has this incredible encounter with an, with an angel, with a, a messenger of God, or, or perhaps even depending on how you would translate or read it, God himself. And it says that Jacob is, is encountering this divine messenger or, or a manifestation of God himself. And it says that Jacob wrestles with this angel all night and refuses to let go of this angel until this angel gives Jacob a blessing. And I love this, this picture, that we can wrestle with the divine. We can, we can wrestle with the divine. And there is something about this tenacity that Jacob has and this, this just complete dedication to, I'm going to pursue this, I want to find this out, and he's rewarded for it. And as daybreak is about to happen, he demands of this angel, you will bless me. And the angel does. He says, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to change your name. And he gives them the name Israel. And Israel can be translated in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways that I love to think of it is that God prevails. Jacob the deceiver goes to becoming Israel, the one whose very name says that God has intentions and God is using people because God prevails. His name that produced all this shame, all this guilt, all this remorse has now been shifted, has now been transformed, has now been redeemed to say God prevails. God wins in the end. God is in control. It doesn't make sense that God would use a guy known for deception to be the one who announces God's rule. But maybe it makes perfect sense also. Maybe that's exactly in the nature of God. To redeem, to take the people who thought their, their story was over. They think their story is over because of what the doctors have said. They think the story is over because of the relationships that have been destroyed. They think the story is over because of the bank account, because of the missed opportunities, because of the failures in life. Over and over and over again, we see God using not the people who have it all together, not the people who have amassed such success in their lives. He used the people who have failed, the people who are walking. And notice this, after this encounter, Jacob, for the rest of his life, will walk with a limp. God uses people who limp. God redeems that. Jacob is transformed into Israel, but he's got some scars that go with it. If you may want to write this down, and I think this is a really important statement that kind of ties this together. You don't get to choose what comes into your life. You do get to choose what you call it. You don't get to choose what comes into your life. You do get to choose what you call it. You may think that your story is done, but God uses broken and forgotten things all the time. I think God, what I see in Scripture, is that God is the business of redemption. You don't get to choose what happens. You get to choose what you call it. 
Maybe there's a label that you've embraced that you don't like it. I'd encourage you to name it something else. To shift your thinking. Not because that will just magically make everything better, but will give you a path forward towards redemption. And I think this happens all over in the Bible. Over and over and over again. We see God using people. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're worried that something from your past will come to light. Maybe there's something that you have physically moved on from, but emotionally and mentally you're still there. Maybe for you, you you feel like you can't change it, but the Bible is full of people undergoing vast changes. God uses murderers and adulterers and liars and frauds and fakes over and over again to accomplish his purposes, to accomplish his intentional plan. And what we read is that these people didn't hide from what they did. They didn't, they didn't just ignore that they were, they were somehow not these things, but they were honest about it. They allowed God to fully redeem them. They, they brought who they, who, who they were and what was going on fully to God. If you don't like what you've been called, name it something different. Someone has called you insecure, or you've called yourself insecure. It's something you've identified with too long. You don't say, I am so confident in myself. You say, I am confident in Jesus. You have been been for so long told yourself, people have told you that you're just lazy, that you're just a failure, you're just screw up. You don't say, bear down, I'm going to figure this out. You say, no, 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 God is transforming me. God is redeeming me. God is renewing me because God is not done with me. You, You said to yourself over and over and over again, you're a failure, you're a cheater. You're you're weak. You can never get it right. You say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because what we're doing is we're saying, I can't control what is coming to my life, but I can control what I call it. Because God takes all those lies that you're a failure, that you'll never figure it out, that you can't come back from this that you'll never reach success, that your life is just what you have and you might as well come to accept it. He takes those lies and he says, no, 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 you are redeemed. You are a new person. You are a new creation. That when you submit your life to me, you can move forward into something better and it's never too late. See, God says you're forgiven. God says that you are made new. God says that you're healed by the grace of Jesus, that you are loved. All these labels we walk around with, these lies that go against our true identity. These are these ghosts of Christmas past. If you're a follower of Jesus, you follow the, sa- you follow the Savior of Christmas. But if you aren't a follower of Jesus, let me tell you why Christmas is so important. God uses us to accomplish his intentional work. And so if you were going to design a story, if you were going to be intentional about this, If you were going to design a story that's going to launch a worldwide religion that billions of people will follow, if you were going to design something that would last for 2,000 plus years, that would change lives and change society, if you were going to design this with intentionality, if I was going to design it, this is what I would do. I would find some recognizable world leader in history. I would find somebody with power and wealth and prestige. 
And I would speak to him, I would interact with him, I would give him some sort of spiritual awakening that was verifiable, that people could record for history, that some way to say, this is real. And then I would use that person's power to, to spread this message throughout. And I would use somebody whose character and his integrity was, was incredibly high, and I would use a way to kind of announce this worldwide. But that's not how it happened. That's just how I would do it. Instead, we get something very different. We probably get a teenage girl. Uneducated. Poor. Someone who comes from a family that is vaguely connected, but in reality, very isolated. We, we get this girl who, who is a part of a people that are not victorious or powerful, She's part of a people and a family that have been conquered and are living under oppression that we can't even imagine. There is no hope for this girl named Mary. Really, the, the, any glimpse of a hope for her is marriage. And so she is in this arranged marriage with this older man named Joseph. And he's a laborer. He works with his hands. He probably breaks rocks and builds mud bricks, uses them to build things. He's, he's somebody who's, who's just barely a notch above Mary's family. And we read that they're engaged, and, and in that culture, the marriage wouldn't be, wouldn't be announced or the ceremony wouldn't happen because of a date that worked for both families. It would be this date in which the husband, the prospective husband, would complete a home for his new family. And so it would take a while. It would take a while to build and get the resources together, particularly for somebody who is middle class, maybe, but probably below that. And something happens during the midst of this engagement. She turns up pregnant. And sure, that, that may be looked down upon today, but societally then, the best case scenario here is a quiet divorce, and the most extreme is a public execution. She says she saw this angel, and this angel came to her and said that this, there's more going on here. And then Joseph says that, that he had something similar that confirmed all this. So, so even though everyone around them is putting these labels on them, they're sinners. They're failures before they even get started. And that kid, no hope, will live with this stain of what their parents did for the rest of their lives. These frauds decide to stick it out. See, God is intentional, and I think this is the plan all along. Not for God to enter the world by speaking to or through a world leader. Not to be born into a family of power and privilege, but to come to a lowly, poor couple with no real prospects. Who have been ostracized by their community and isolated. And that when for the time of the baby to come, they would have to find space where animals were usually kept. Labels were put on this little baby. A child out of wedlock. The product of an affair. Worthless and consequential. So what do you name a ch child like this? 
What name do you put on this child that will give any sort of hint about character and intentionality and purpose? Well, they name him Jesus. But names in the Bible have deeper meanings. They speak to character and purpose. We see this with, with Jacob, that names can change and there can be multiple names. So he's named Jesus, but that's the only one that he was received. Again, this isn't about a birth certificate or a birth announcement. This is almost more about labels that we put on people. And so one of the names, one of the labels they put on Jesus, he gets named Messiah, he gets named Christ, he gets named the King of Kings, but he's also called, and this is key, Emmanuel. He is named Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, God meant to show up the way he did. Don't miss this. God meant to show up the way he did. So why? Why did he show up in this way at this time? Why did he show up to this scared, poor couple? Why did he come into the world in a way in which that history, other than his followers, kind of missed the whole birth? History, besides some lowly shepherds and some foreigners who worshipped the stars. They, they, why, why was it that only these people noticed it? Why was it that God showed up in this way? Because I think God was saying, I am coming to you. You parents who have had those horrible nights when the baby won't sleep. And you're so tired. And you're frustrated and you're at your wit's end. Well, God understands that. You people who have looked at the, pay, the, the, the paycheck, and you've looked at the bills, and you've looked at the bank account, and it doesn't add up. Well, God understands that. You people who have told, been told, the, those of us who have been told that we are a failure, that we're, it's, it's not time, we're too young, we're too old, we're too inexperienced, we have, we have too much baggage, there's too much regret, there's too much shame. People told Jesus that all the time. God understands that. This whole idea that God comes in this way is so that we can all access God. We can all come close because God comes close to us. And so this Christmas, don't let the labels define you. Don't let the expectations of others other people who mean well define your experience don't let the ghost haunt you from the past but see the truth see the truth that the god who loves the god who redeems the god who renews the god who says true things about you that even you have a hard time believing came to us christmas celebrates that merry christmas let's pray God, we, we are so...